bodybuilding. That's where I landed today. That's where this conversation came from, stemmed from, whatever. I have been in the bodybuilding world for quite a few years now as far as a uh, mainstream fan and advocate lifter, I guess you would call it. Um, But this conversation was based from a friend of mine, Yusuf Al-Jafar. He came from Saudi Arabia and has clawed his way up and he's still in the process of climbing up the ranks. But he's not a professional bodybuilder, as you would think I would be talking to. He's actually a professional bodybuilder's coach, which makes him the brains behind the operation. He's been through quite a lot of shit. He's lived years without his family. He knows what it's like to come from cultures not of an American one. And he's a very soft-spoken individual who I respect immensely. A very close friend of mine. He is the team captain and owner of Team Classthetics. He is also working on his master's in kinesiology to become the brains of many, many, many to come champions. If you need help in bodybuilding world, just do yourself a favor. Listen to this podcast. If you need some help in any area, even in mental health, I implore you to listen to this conversation. As men, we don't talk about certain things such as why we lift uh, vulnerabilities and getting our health checked. So please take the time out to listen to my friend and hopefully soon to be yours, Yusuf from Team Classthetics. This pl- yeah, it's recording now. This platform's weird. So it's it's really good because like it, it allows a lot more flexibility to like edit. The quality's a lot better. Um but its limitations are there. You know, you have to use Chrome and then you have little issues like this. It just doesn't like refresh within the browser itself. So like just that little delay that we had caused it to almost like time out on my end of the recording, but it's not like we haven't gotten past worse in our life. So we got past that we're live and we're recording. So we are all good. Yeah, definitely. So I, I'm sitting here with my buddy Yusuf. Um, I honestly don't know your last name because everything. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, you're, everything is like the classesthetic boy, you know, or like I just always see you in the gym or kind of hanging out and just never really actually called you by your loose name. I bl- actually I think it starts with an H. Have I seen it online or something? Or am I completely off? You're completely off. <laughs> yeah, that's, that happens. <laughs> You know Aladdin, right. the movie, uh, the Disney movie? Yeah. You know the bad guy, Jafar? Yeah. That's my last name, Al-Jafar. <laughs> okay. Wait, I did know that. Why? I don't know why the hell I'm saying that. Um, yeah, now that you say that, I do know that. Anyway, so we are live. We are recording. I am here with Yusuf Al-Jafar. We've known each other for a few years now. Three, yeah. four years, something like that. Yeah, I want to say 2017, we, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, we uh, we met at the gym and uh, just kind of started kicking it and everything through Alex and hanging out. And uh, we are now here. You 
are one of the best bodybuilding coaches in the Midwest, if not the country. Um, you were a personal trainer. You went to Eastern. Did your uh, you did your masters, right? I am working on my masters. I got my oh, okay. bachelor's. That's what it was. All right, yeah, in uh, kinesiology, and uh, you come from a completely different side of the world. So that was kind of something that I felt that I needed to talk to you about. Because we've talked a lot about like bodybuilding, gym, um, you know, like girls, just like gym stuff. But we've never actually gotten a chance to take a deep dive down into who you really are, you know, where you come from and things like that. So I wanted to uh, show you a different side of me and potentially and uh, dive into this conversation. So I want to take it back to uh, originally where you're from. Originally from the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, um, my blood descends from Iraq, Bahrain, and Saudi. That's where my last name comes from, Al Jafar, from Iraq. I don't know which great grandfather came into Saudi, but they didn't make the right choice. <laughs> so I grew up in Saudi. Yeah, I, I was born in Saudi, grew up in Saudi till I was. Um, 26 27 i decided i want to do i want to do my own thing i want to bathe my way through life i was working in a in a in the oil industry and the biggest company in my country which is called saudi aramco the government company responsible for making the oil and digging for the oil and gas and everything I was making a lot of money i can tell you that and I was moving up really high, real quick. I got promotion after promotion. My salary was going up, but I was getting, I was getting exhausted. Like I was gassed off. I work yeah. 12 hours and that's all, you know, over time, 12 hours, months without weekends, my bank account was going up, quality of life going down. I didn't like it. Started having, started getting out of shape high blood pressure, mental problem, you know, stress and stuff. And I didn't like it there. Every way, everything was controlled. They're like the old ways. The bosses were old school mentality. They want to run everything in there as they like. Mm -hmm. And they were holding me back. Like they were pushing me. So you can't, you can't really expand. You can't really grow. So I decided I want to, I want to be free. Money is not freedom. It gets you freedom in some aspects, but it's not fully freedom. I feel like freedom is when you do what you like when you want it. So in that company, I have only 30 days as a, you know, the vacation. And I used to cut it up 10 days, 10 days, 10 days. And I used to travel a lot. I love traveling. I'm a scuba diver, almost an instructor. I love going out. And that job, that lifestyle didn't align with my personality. So I knew they had some scholarship to the U.S. at the time where they give you a full scholarship. They send you aboard to get your degree and then you, you get back and get back basically to working in the company. And I, I, I applied for this thing and they, they didn't want to they didn't want to cut me loose. Because at that at that time I was I was basically running almost the whole warehouse. Uh, I worked in the material supply department. Okay. And they needed someone like that, so they said no. 
I said, okay, I'm quitting. And it was a tough decision, Rob, I can tell you, because at the time I was already married. I had two homes. I had the latest car. I had a six-month-old kid. And everybody called me crazy, like, why do you want to leave this company? People want to want to get in as janitors in that company. They pay a lot. It's security. Mm-hmm. The only guy or the only person that was 100% by my side is my dad. Uh, he was like, you're a man. You want to do whatever you want to do, I'll support you. I might not have the money to support you financially, but I'll, I'll be by your side. Whatever choices you want to do, just go for it. My mom didn't like it. Uh, my friends didn't like it. My wife was by my side. <clears throat> so I resigned, gathered whatever money left, and I came to the U.S. by myself. I left my family behind, my kid, my wife, and I applied for a government scholarship, which takes some requirements, and the requirements at the time I quit was a process of four months or so. So I told my family, I'll bring you in four months. I got to the U.S. The king of Saudi Arabia was changed. The rules were changed. And the requirements will take me two years, two full years. And I don't have the financial to bring my family. So literally started not from scratch, a little behind scratch. Spent all my money, started um, started in a community college, um, Schoolcraft Community College, to get the credits and everything, the requirements they want for the scholarship. And I ended up being by myself for two years. I couldn't bring my family. Uh, they came and visited me, uh, visited me two summers. But still, I was homeless. I was jobless. I was, I was a little lost. But this is what I needed, because that's that slap in the face. I didn't see it coming, but it had to create something, because <clears throat> I'm on my own. Different country, different language, different people, different way of living. Slab of a culture shock, comparing you know Saudi at the time in 2015 with the U.S. If you're familiar with Saudi Arabia and in 2015, you will know what I'm talking about. So yeah, I started, I started working in canvas, you know, cleaning, doing printing stuff, um, tutoring, stuff like that, making money little by little. And I got the scholarship two years after I initially came here. I was finally able, able to reunite with my family. I brought my my wife, my kid. It was a good time, but a, a tough time at the same time because my dad had cancer at that time. And it's a long story. You could have to do a, another podcast for this, but he passed away at 54 in 2017, April oh, wow. 2017. Sorry to hear about that. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. It was it was a lot of changes. A lot of balls thrown on my face at that time. But gradually I was hooked up in the bodybuilding industry because I was I was overweight as a kid. 
I was always bullied as being overweight, directly and indirectly. You know how it goes with kids. Mm-hmm. And I was I was lifting weight back in my country just to lose weight. You know, I did basketball, did swimming, did a lot of stuff. So I had that initial background of how the muscles work and everything. Um, then I got into Eastern Michigan University after I got my, my scholarship. I got into kinesiology and arts as a minor and took it from there. I started doing bodybuilding shows, started coaching people, and I am paving my way right now. I don't have a job right now, but I'm standing solid on my legs. I'm working on my master's degree. My wife came in, just finished her, her uh, health administration system major and she's doing her OPT started working this week so things are headed in the right direction I had another kid uh, which was born in here so he had he is a US citizen I'm still not settled with my green card or citizenship status but I'm working on it so here we are I have my eight-year-old boy which was seven months when I left and I had my three years old turning this in two weeks, turning three. Yeah. And I haven't seen my, I'm telling you, I haven't seen my country since I left, since 2015. I never went back visiting. And there are a lot of changing. If you, if you follow everything going on in the world, there are a lot of changes to my country right now. And it sounds appealing, but still, I like the quality of life here. I like the health system in here better i like the job opportunities and i like the weather and i like the people here yeah that was a lot it was i like how you were able to kind of take your entire story and put it you know in just a few minutes because a lot of people aren't able to do that but one thing that uh i've always found very attractive about you is you never complain I've, I've never once heard you complain, um, but yet I didn't know that entirety of, of kind of like the breakdown of your story. Um, we both migrated to the city of Ann Arbor, this area. Um, I didn't come out here from another country or anything. I came out here for rehab and where I came from is not even that far away. It's just a different culture. This area is a very different culture, and it's it's a. I've been criticized for calling it soft, but I'm going to continue to call Ann Arbor a very soft city. It's uh, very padded in the way that it that it works, but it's a very comfortable city. Um, you know, people are they can be very nice here, um, but we're also kind of disconnected from the rest of the world. You know, as Americans as a whole, you know, I know over kind of our friendship, I've texted you random questions, you know, about whether it be your culture, your, you know, um, where you're from, just very curious about how things work on the other side of the world. And to get a chance to kind of sit down, talk to you and uh, hear your story, I want to first thank you for coming on. Uh, Very grateful to have this time with you. And uh, want, now I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into uh, your childhood because it's not very often you get to hear similarities um, from a childhood from the other side of the world. So kind of take me back to what it was like growing up in Saudi Arabia. Um, 
just for the generalization of, you know, from, from the American cultured perspective, I speak for myself and for what I've seen from the media, but it, it seems like everything in the Middle East is, you know, concrete buildings, um, unpaved roads, and um, everybody in very formal clothing. Um, but I, I'm not sure. You know what I mean? I, I have no idea. So kind of paint that picture for me for a few minutes and just kind of let us know where you came from as far as your childhood. You are mostly right. Uh, concrete buildings, paved road, uh, people dressing weird. But on the other side of it, you still have the the high Like if you if you go to Dubai, if you go to Bahrain, you see you'll see this side of the world, which is looks really behind, but at the same time, two blocks away, you see the, the Ferraris and you see that, you know what I'm talking about, it's another Vegas there. This is, this was not the case in the place I grew in. It was mostly, it was mostly the behind side compared to the U.S. Of course. And that's talking, um, we're talking 25 years ago. It's things are better now. <clears throat> But how, um, trying to find the contrast between um, my childhood and the childhood my kid is going through right now in the U.S. There are a lot of differences. Take education, for example. Um, I got hit a couple times, a hundred times, by teachers that actually physically hit you. And um, create punishments. Um, I think a lot of people don't know is the boys are separated from the girls, the education system. So all the schools into, it's all boys. The girls have their own schools, they have their own schools. As a matter of fact, even living outside, you don't get in contact with girls. They're covered, they're home most of the time talking about my childhood now things are things are open up a little bit more <clears throat> and things are changing um, uh, another thing you might want to know about is the health system we have free health like we have free health care in the hospitals so you go to the government hospitals and they take care of you. Um, but it's not the best. It compared to here, we're talking 25 years ago. So I, I grew up in like among kids mostly. You don't get in contact with girls, and that's mostly from the religion side of thing. But also that was enforced by the government. And um. And yeah, okay. It should be blood, but I don't know why to I apologize for that. <clears throat> so we had a farm. It loved animals. We had horses, dogs, cows, sheep, you name it. And I'm still a big else. We by the sea, the Gulf Sea, so that's something we go to regularly. It's like 10 minutes away from where I lived. 
where scuba dive came my interest. But yeah, my child was pretty mediocre. But it was yeah. Fun. I uh, was trying to I was trying to keep up with most of that. I feel like we're having some internet connection issues. Um, so hopefully that can kind of clear up. I can see you again, but I know on the recording, um, it's a little, little blotchy, but in the, the live listeners are having a little bit of trouble, but we'll be able to get it done on the recording. So no worries on that end. Um, I was able to kind of catch most of it and still kind of gloss over a couple of bullet points just to make sure that I don't disrespect your story at all of basically the, you have free healthcare. Um, I wasn't aware of that. Um, that's something I definitely want to dive into now that I know about that. Um, I was pretty much right as far as like the visual aesthetics of kind of like where you grew up and I did not, you don't seem like a farm type of guy to me to have horses and, and, uh, different animals like that. So that's pretty cool too. Um, yeah, I guess you really would have that like over here, depending on, I mean, obviously not the concrete buildings and all, but it seems like it's essentially the same thing with, uh, with your parents, however, though, with that dynamic, I know there's a big cultural difference. What was the uh, your parents' influence like on you growing up as far as were you more, you know, like sheltered, you were told to kind of stay inside, or were you allowed to kind of have free reign to explore life and figure things out for yourself? And he's gone. And he's back. And I think he's back. I am back. He's back, and he sounds better. There we go. And the video's better. We are so much better now, guys. Awesome. Anyway, yeah. Go back to your question. So I, 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 I caught most of it. Yeah, yeah. so I, it wasn't really so much a question. Um, just as I wasn't aware of all the, uh, you know, how you were raised, kind of like how you came up and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there are some people out here that, you know, in the country and they have all those animals. Um, but I'm more curious about like the, the cultural perspective and the cultural differences in parenting and kind of, were you allowed to, um, kind of be like, you know, so for, for me as like a, a seven, eight year old, you know, it was, in the morning of the summers, I would hop on my bike and go for a ride, go to my friend's house, you know, play out back. And it was basically outside the entire time. Were you able to do that back home or was it a completely different kind of feel to it? As long as you tolerate the weather and the sun, <laughs> you can go on a bike ride. <laughs> but yeah, um, my brothers were so big in sports cars. I was so big in Jeeps, Wranglers, sand dunes and, you know, off-road stuff. Yeah. I wasn't a bike guy, but, yeah. Okay, yeah, no, I just wasn't sure if there was, you know, some crazy differences of, from the uh, the cultural standpoint of you're not allowed to do certain things or whatever. Um, so your parents seemed like they were pretty open to allow you to explore your life. Where, what exactly, how do I word this, I guess? Um, 
as far as like your schooling and everything goes, when you're going through school, how are your grades looking and what are your parents like pushing you into school as far as like education? Was coming over here ever a goal? Um, I'm not really familiar with the education system in, over there, so I was just kind of generalizing things to keep this going. But okay. yeah, kind of how much I will, push you? I will go through that and I'll, I'll get you an interesting story to kind of have more perspective on that. My mom is a teacher, was a teacher. She's retired now. And she's so big in schools as, as any teacher, you know. But I was a different person at school. Like, I was really bad. I had to redo some of my high school years because my grades were too bad. And then when I graduated from high school and I applied for that company as an apprentice, I got, I got accepted. And I remember my brother saying to me, you're going to be kicked out in two weeks. I bet you on it. <laughs> because they're so straight drop. They're, they're like military. That, that company, they, wanna, they want the employees to be razor sharp. Because they, they have only the best of the best. <clears throat> and I don't know what miracle got me into, into that apprenticing thing. But that was a major switch. I started, they, they do final tests every three months. We, my class was 42 people, only 18 graduated. They were just kicking people off, left and right. So when I started, it was all English. They wanted to teach us English. I could barely write my name in English that day, like at that time. That was back in 2008. And... I told myself, I'm going to get this job. This is a lifetime opportunity. You only get so few of these where you can turn your, your life around. And I mm -hmm. set myself to it. I paid attention in the classroom and I was like, during the breaks, my friends would go, we have seven minutes break between classes. My friends would go out, smoke cigarettes. I was a cigarette smoker at the time, but I stayed in the classroom in between breaks just doing vocabularies, getting my hand um, familiar with the spelling and everything. And the first, the first final came in and boom, I'm the first, like I'm number one on my classroom. I shocked myself and I was like, okay, I did it this final, I'm, I'm going to try to do it again. And I kept on doing that. And it, it was easy, Rob. Like I realized that I actually can do whatever I would set my mind to. Mm -hmm. From that day till the day I graduated, I was first on my class, like the highest grades. And I carried that mentality to the workplace. I was on top of things. I was standing out on everything. Like they gave me, they gave me the transactions they, they would give a supervisor. What that, especially in a warehouse, it's really sensitive because you can manage a lot of the budget. Like you can waive $200,000 $200, if you have a transaction of a certain, you know, material stuff. And they would give it to me. And I was grade seven on their scale of, you know, the job positions where the transactions I had were for grade 12 and above, the senior employees. 
And that's why that's what I mean when I told you I, I, they were holding me back and I was kind of I wanted to explode and grow, but they were holding me back. But this is this is how my grades were in, in terms of high school, in terms of my school years. I was I was really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's I I found that grade school is not meant for learning. It's really more meant for can you retain and regurgitate information, um, at least in our system, to whereas like once you get into college, it's they it's basically they're giving you all the information, asking you questions and seeing if you have the ability to go out and find the answers. And you don't really get into like any specific uh <clears throat> like specific subject theory until you really get into like a grad school program, law school or something like that. And then that's where you really dive into the details of a certain thing. Um, And you're doing that right now with your grad uh, program in kinesiology. So let's skip ahead and get into kind of where we met and the meat and potatoes of kind of what you're doing now. So we met in a a crunch, um, you you were Alex's uh, main training partner at the time, mm-hmm. um, and you were you you two were easily the biggest guys in the gym, for sure. And I remember we used to go at the same time, pretty much every day, and just kind of in seeing each other, just kind of started talking and kicking it back and forth and whatnot. And I realized pretty quickly, you weren't just another guy in the gym, you know that you had an entire team that followed you. You know, I started seeing like all these other people wearing classic boy t-shirts, tanks, uh, hoodies and stuff like that. And I'm like, shit, how do I get one of those? Like, what is this thing? You know? And, uh, so there was a, there was an incident that happened and that kind of caused me to, to reach out to you and kind of talk to you just in the locker room of, of bullshitting. And that sparked this friendship. And so I want to take this opportunity to kind of dive down that world of bodybuilding with you because a lot of guys do start off as a chubbier dude. Myself, I was, we'll call it husky, you know, growing up, big boned, we'll say. And uh, so I always had this, uh, this short Napoleon complex and never really believed that I could be strong because I was just very short and chubby and there was a time to where you and I were working out and I was finally getting back into shape. You handed me a hundred pound dumbbell for <laughs> overhead rows. <laughs> and you, you kicked the weight out of the way that I gave you and to use handed me a hundred pounder. I had no idea. And I did it. And you're like, see, you can do this. And I tell that story because that's who you are. You know, that wasn't just one situation that you did that. That's kind of how you are in life. You you seem to raise the people around you up. Um, you're not one of those type of guys that you want to make it to the top of the mountain with you. You have a backpack full of people you're bringing with you. So let's dive into this uh, the bodybuilding community a little bit because a lot of people will get into it. They'll... They'll pick their favorite guy, you know, they'll go to the gym, they'll take the shitty ghost pre-workouts, and now everybody's eating Rice Krispie treats before they go to the gym and drinking 400 grams of caffeine, like, that's really going to do anything, Um, but that's what everybody's doing, and you decided to kind of go in and not just participate, 
but you're mastering this and you and you're doing that not from the uh, the actions you're taking in the gym but from the theoretical side of it from the coaching aspect and the knowledge base from the educational standpoint so what brought you down that path into bodybuilding and what is your goals continuing i think it all flared up from my from my childhood insecurities like i i had a really bad genetics and body composition growing up when i went through puberty i had a bad case of gynecomastia and that's when i started lifting weights just to get this thing off get the bitch tits away yeah the bitch tits yeah yeah exactly that's how i felt about it <laughs> yeah yeah that's exactly how everybody feels about the it. frustrating thing rob is the more you lean down if you have a gynecomastia tissue and that's the, the the tissue under the nipple that makes him buff out. The more you lean down, the more it buffs up. So I was doing well. I leaned down. I see my six pack and everything, but my my nipples were just distracting. I hated it, and I didn't know about it like until like seven years of lifting. Because at the time. There was no YouTube, no social media. We had no access to information, especially back in my country. So we'll just go with yeah. whatever the gym bros say. They will tell you, drink pickle juice before pre-workout, and you would do it. They will tell you. you got to get that sodium, though. <laughs> like, literally, everything everything is boiled, no salt, nothing. And you can eat as much potatoes as you want. And it's it's really old-school mentality. It works for certain people with with Mm -hmm. phenomenal genetics but it's not customized and then when i came here to the u.s i've already um went through some consultations with doctors back in my country but i had the idea of moving to the u.s in my head and i told myself i'll do it there professionally so i did it first thing when i came when i came here i got the surgery done and i was like okay i want to bring it to next level I always was afraid, Rob, of taking my shirt off. And I like to take it, if I, if I will sit a girl, I'll take it to the extreme. Like, I fear swimming with people just because I can't take my shirt off. I want to take my shirt off and stand under the lights, and I want people to appreciate that. So here, here was my first goal of stepping on a bodybuilding stage. None of my family did it before. I had nobody by my side. I had nothing. Like, I had zero knowledge of prepping for a competition. Nothing. I know nobody who competed before. I follow bodybuilding on social media. I know Jay Cutler or mm -hmm. Ronnie Coleman at the time because they, they look good, you know, as a yeah. mainstream fan, not really a hardcore bodybuilding fan. And then... <clears throat> They say when the when the student is ready, the master will appear. And then I somehow got hooked up with a guy called Dakota Waring, a very good friend of mine. And we haven't we haven't connected in a while, but he introduced me to his coach C.J. Carl Jackson, and he took me over. He was like, "You are ready to compete in eight weeks," and I was like, "Let's do it." So. What do you want to do? I'm not into the deep bodybuilding. I never wanted to deep, 
to be the biggest guy. I was like, I like classic physique. That was the year when classic physique was introduced, not yet to the Olympia, mm -hmm. but only in the local shows. It had, it, it didn't make its way to the Olympia yet at the time. So you like that Arnold style look, the the old guys. I right? love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's because you're a tall dude. That's why. <laughs> No, I was, I was, I mean, we were always, we were all fans of the Rolly Winkler, the, the you know, the, the yeah. freakiest guys. But at the, at the end of yeah. the day, you don't want to live that lifestyle, at least speaking from my perspective. I don't want to be the biggest mm -hmm. guy. I never, I never wanted to. So I competed in my first show and I was natural. I did the NPC, John Simmons, 2017. I insisted on doing classic physique. My coach wanted me to do men's physique. I'm not a big fan of men's physique, but I insisted on classic physique. But since he was coaching me for free, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll do both. I'll do men's physique and classic physique. I went all in and I won both. I got first place and I was like, oh, this feels good. I might have a place in this bodybuilding stuff. And I got hooked up. I got addicted to it. <sighs> And you're a bodybuilder, Rob. You know that bodybuilding doesn't doesn't mean the gym only. It stretches to every single aspect of your life. If you're a successful bodybuilder, if you can tame your mind and your body, you can be successful in anything. Going through the, the pain barrier, forcing yourself, going to the gym with no support, nobody tapping your shoulder. It's a character shaping. It's This sport is so deep, at least how I look at it. It really teaches you discipline, consistency, going through pain, going through everything. It, it, it sparks up something in you. I got really passionate about it and it changed my life. So a lot of bad habits were just gradually shutting off as I focused more on the bodybuilding. Um, I started making friends. I loved it, started helping people. I loved it, started helping people and seeing people do well and then started coaching people. I actually started coaching people for free for two years. That's when I was studying kinesiology and kind of to apply whatever I learned, the academics into the actual field of life and things were clicking. We, we started winning shows, going to nationals. And then I came up with the team and it took off, especially with my social media. I had a lot of friends back in my country. And at the time I left, I probably had a Facebook account, but I wasn't really, really active in it. But at the time when I left my country, they didn't have access. They didn't have access to seeing what life is like in the United States. So people st started following me, following my journey, following the, the bodybuilding shows I, I did. And I did the first show and I won that show. And my, my, my social media just started rocketing. My, my Instagram just went high. And I liked it. I liked the dopamine of it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I will go all in in, the, in this bodybuilding thing. And this is when I got big, got strong. 
uh, had Alex and, and Team Jagannath, CJ, by my side. Went to National, did the Arnold, went to the North Americans. I, I almost got my pro card one spot away. But then I realized this is too this much. Story. I realized, okay, if I keep going, I'll, I'll burn myself out. And my personality was really focused on bodybuilding. I was eating bodybuilding for breakfast, sleeping with bodybuilding, thinking bodybuilding, talking bodybuilding. It was just too much. I have a family. I have goals of settling here. I have a lot of things to do. I got to do money. I got to raise my kids. I got to be a father. I got to be a husband. And I got to provide. And I know this bodybuilding thing is I'm passionate about, but I have I have to have balance. Yeah, yeah. So I want to kind of put a little bit of myself into this um, as a segue going into the next thing I want to talk about. Because at the time that I met you, it was actually a new chapter of my life. So a lot of my listeners know, but you may not. Um, when I met you, I, I was like in the first six months of sobriety. So I had actually gone to rehab uh, May 15th. Uh, 2017 and 2018, sorry. And so around that time, I, before that I had bodybuilding as a mainstream fan, you know, um, mainly I grew up in a very violent childhood, um, you know, fights every single day, whether it be at school, at home, you know, parents, it's everything is just fighting. And, uh, so I always thought that if I was, if I looked a certain way, you know, nobody would mess with me. If I could show you that like, this isn't something that you want to be a part of that. I won't even have to have that confrontation. So that became a main underlying goal for, for years. And it drove me was just, you know, go to the gym every day, take all the drugs, buy all the supplements. You know, it looked like my counter came straight off of GNC. If it came out new and it had a false advertisement of 200% gains, $200 out of my bank account straight to that bottle of rice flour, you know, <laughs> and like and most of it's bullshit, but I bought everything and, but I also, I would get bigger and the confidence came with it. You know, the muscles came and, and, uh, so with muscle and confidence, you want to go, you know, display that. And so I'd go out to bars and parties and I was the big jacked guy. And like every guy wanted to, to be the bigger guy of the bar, you know, and, it, it rolled into, you know, breakups and injuries, surgeries, and you, you go down the line and then opiates get involved and you end up in rehab. At least that's my story. And so for you, I came out to this area not having any friends, like at all. I had I had friends from like back home and other areas of my life, but any local friends, I didn't really have any. And I had seen you and Alex and I was like, all right, those are my people. You know, like they have a good connection, not necessarily like I want to, you know, be weird and go bug these guys or anything. But like that's in in a sense of vulnerability. That's what I wanted, you know, is is I wanted that camaraderie, that brotherhood, that friendship that, uh, you know, that training partners traditionally have. And that pushed me to go to the gym because I needed to get that back. I needed to get some kind of drive back because every day it was a struggle just to not drown myself in a fifth of tequila or a fifth of vodka or, you know, a bottle of pills. And so every day I knew that if I went to the gym, I would see you guys there. And that was my motivation of like, all right, 
I would steal little workouts, you know, like I knew about nutrition, um, being a nutritionist prior, but I didn't really know these little tweaks that you were taking, you know, like just little workout things. And, and so selfishly, I stole some of those, um, and kind of in a way built myself up to have the confidence to talk to you and Alex, because it was a hard thing for me to do. And the gym culture can be very toxic at times. Uh, myself, I feel like um, it's a very uh, gym bro community. Everybody's almost wearing the same thing. And, and you have this very sarcastic, you know, conversations with people at times. And it, it can get very toxic, especially when drugs and everything come into the conversation. So to segue kind of my introduction into this next conversation that I'm wanting to have is it seems like over the years, the gym culture has changed from what are you doing to get this big as far as exercise and, you know, diets and everything. And now everybody wants to know strictly what drugs you're running. And I know that's a very taboo subject in the world of bodybuilding. Nobody's really open to talk about it. And um, I feel like somebody needs to, because I haven't, I haven't been lifting in a while. I've been focusing more on martial arts with jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai. Um, but I still follow bodybuilding um, very closely. And we have guys like Cedric McMillan. Um, you know, we have quite a lot of other guys that have uh, passed away. Rich Piano kind of being like one of the first to kick it off. And, and it seems like there's, there's these controversies on whether or not drugs are causing them. Um, Obviously, I feel like they are causing them, not not directly, but directly and indirectly, you know, with the uh, the things that involved and everything. So I was hoping to kind of dive down a little rabbit hole of the drug culture within the bodybuilding community, because it's a very well-known fact um, to step on a pro stage, unless it's a natural show, you know, a, a higher end show, you're you're going to be running something. Um, it's just this very big misconception that more is better. Um, and with that, you're getting guys that aren't doing blood work and they're running a gram of test a week and their heart's exploding. So I was hoping to dive down that into what your introduction into the world of bodybuilding steroids was like and kind of how you're seeing this from my perspective. This is, this is me talking, um, an unhealthy, culture of steroids to where if we I feel like if we want to keep this if we want to have some sort of legal legitimacy to steroids we need to have an education on it and and use them properly um and that's just my my perspective you know that I don't want to generalize and put anybody else especially you into this um so I am hoping to kind of get your take on that couldn't say it any better I really thank you for putting it in such clear direct words and when I, when I first met you, Rob, I, I thought of you as one of these gym bros, to be honest. Like, you look big. You look like, a, you look like one of these guys who would go all in, abuse the steroid, mm -hmm. coming to know you. You're, you're a scientist, especially when it comes to nutrition. You're, you're really delicate, and you, like, you are not the person I thought of you especially when I first met you at the gym, because I, I remember you talked about 
you wanted to be you wanted to get ready for a show and you posed in the in the locker room and I mm-hmm. was like yeah you you can like you can step on stage you can prep for a show and step on stage and I honestly thought you've done it before I don't know if you competed before or not but you looked like you are one of these guys who who, who are deep down into the bodybuilding world at least to me and that's the thing right it, it's really funny to 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 hear that you had to build confidence to come up to us and talk to us while at the same time me looking at you i will get intimidated because you look big and that that's where insecurities <laughs> come from that's where insecurity, yeah. insecurity is a big part of bodybuilding it's yeah, a it's 100%. a way way bigger than people think you you look at people in the olympia stage they're huge they're mountains and they still think they're fat and skinny it's a disease. Yeah. Body dysmorphia. Body dysmorphia yeah. Is a bitch. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Like crazy. And they do have a big effect on people dying. Steroids. Mm-hmm. They do. As you said, whether indirectly or directly, whether it's a heart attack of, you know, your blood viscosity going crazy and your high blood pressure or just the, the fact that you've been running it for two years or three years without stopping ignoring the blood work and everything or just side things like lift ventricular hypertrophy and something you don't know about and then you, your body started deteriorating i i worked in cardiac rehab um i don't know if you know about this but i, I worked in cardiac yep. rehab as an exercise physiologist in, in saint joe's hospital and i see people mm, like I the more you dive into the scientific uh, side of thing in body physiology, the more scared you get. Because we just, we tend to shut our ears and our eyes from what the doctor says. And a lot of people have this general idea that doctors don't know what they're talking about, especially bodybuilders. Mm-hmm. And it can be true sometimes, but not all doctors don't know what they're talking about. And when you when you're deep into the bodybuilding thing and you you're you're like driving a Ferrari, right? With your body and you feel confident, your chest is high, you're the biggest guy in the room, or you look the way you wanna look, you wanna keep it. You don't wanna go down to driving a Toyota. And that's where the addiction comes. And it's literally addiction. I see new Thank people. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I see new people. I, I see new new people like sixteen years old, seventeen years old, even in their twenties. They just started going to the gym. They know nothing about bench press, Rob. They're like, yeah, what's the best cycle for me? Like, what are you talking about? It's not a cosmetic <laughs> thing. It's not a lip implant. It's it's not like you're gonna inject testosterone in your ass and wake up jacked the next day. Yeah, it's not like that. It's this is when steroids were introduced to the bodybuilding it was for the elite athletes people have been doing it for years have been doing bodybuilding nutrition the right way for years and even when they when they come when when they start using peds performance enhancement drugs or steroids or peptides they do it professionally with follow-ups as you said blood work and everything but this generation, they just go all in. They play with psalms and steroids as if they're uh, as if they're taking protein shakes. 
And the tricky thing is, you don't have an instant effect, I mean, a bad side effect right away. It builds up. And people, teenage people, they don't all necessarily have that vision looking down the road 10 years from today. They just want to get big and they got the whatever it takes mentality. And as you said, it, it's just bizarre. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I got to admit, like, I was one of those guys, you know, when I started, um, I went to the gym. I mean, I, at first I wasn't into the drugs at all. I mainly because I didn't know where to get them. Um, you know, when I first started, it was, you know, just lift, try to, <clears throat> my mentality was, and always has been, if it does not hurt, you're not done, you know? And so I used bodybuilding as like a, an outlet, you know, um, something that it would get me out of my mind, you know, to get away from all my insecurities, kind of try to cultivate a culture surrounding me while also building confidence of having that outside aura while never actually working on any of the inside stuff and trying to figure out who I am and what I actually wanted. And so I dove down that rabbit hole. And when I got my first cycle of SARMs, this was uh, like nine years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. And, uh, it was like halo was out and, uh, like halo testing mm -hmm. and RPG and like all these stuff. You could, you could get legitimate steroids from GNC at one point. <laughs> and once I felt that first pump and you know, the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger pump and I walked out and my arms were still jacked and still had those veins. And then I had the test running. So it, it stuck around for a couple hours. I was like, Oh my God, I need this all the time because it doesn't matter how I feel. I can lie to you in my perception. I can force you to believe that I'm somebody who I'm not just by taking this drug and feeling this way. And it, it pushed me down that rabbit hole. So that's, that's the reason why I started it. And I see that over and over instead of just going to the gym for the culture 99.9% .9 of guys will never step on stage and yet they're wanting to run these cycles. And there's this culture of, you know, you got to bulk and then cut and bulk and cut. And nobody knows what that does to your metabolism while they're doing it, but it destroys your metabolism, let alone your hormone panel is going through the roof. If you want to have sex the week of a show, forget about it. And there's just so much that isn't being talked about. So I want to dive into the mental aspect of it and then uh, get you out of here in just a little bit. But those insecurities are something that a lot of people struggle with. For me to even hear that you thought I was a big guy is crazy. I never looked at myself as a big guy. You know, I that's why I wore hoodies. I didn't wear hoodies to try to cover anything or to try to sweat more for hypothergenics. Um, which stop doing that people. It's not a real thing unless you're cutting for a show or a fight. Um, but it, uh, I, I had to hide, you know, and it wasn't until I got a little bit bigger and I got, I found somebody locally and I got back on some gear 
that that pushed me. So like I 100% admit that I am a product of addiction. Um, and I 100% took my pill and alcohol addiction and brought it into the steroid world. So that way I was able to build some sort of confidence as a baseline without working on myself. So with that kind of going into my story, how many times are you seeing that story repeated throughout your coaching career? Um, I, I got to feel like I'm not the only one who's done that. That's crazy. You look big, Rob. I would never <laughs> think in a million years that you're hiding your body. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. 100% that's what I was doing. Yeah, because yeah, I used to always wear a black hoodie and a baseball hat every day and sweatpants. And uh, you were actually the first person in my entire life to give me a compliment on my legs. I used to always wear pants or sweatpants um, because from looking down, looking like calves and stuff, you, you can't see what other people see. I know. I've And I've never taken pictures of myself or judged or anything. So to hear that, I remember that day and I was like, oh, shit, this dude thinks I got good calves. And like that that was a drug that it gave me the rest of that day. I remember walking on cloud nine, you know, because you had actually complimented me on something. And that to me is the gift of bodybuilding, but also that's the curse. I will really, really well said. Thank you for that. I meant it at the time you had good legs. You had complete legs. You needed a little bit of size to, you know, be proportionate it with your mm -hmm. upper body but that's the thing as you say when you look down you see nothing but the lacking parts even even looking at yourself in the mirror you look at your face you're like this side is different than this side i like to take photos from this side better where other people don't see that that's all in your head it's the same exact thing in bodybuilding you only look at your flaws and that st that stems from we as human being, we want to detect problems and solve them. But sometimes we get caught in that mentality and we focus only in the negative. If you, if you, if you would see yourself as a new person first time, you would look at the positive things. Like I see bodybuilders on stage, they like a lot of things. But I look at the positive body parts, the conditioning, if they, they have a bigger chest, that's something that I'm drawn to but I don't do the same thing to myself. I'm always critical and it's, it's really damaging mentally. Yeah. But going back to, um, to what you said about steroids and, and, and confident and everything. That's when I told myself, you got to stop because my mentality, I want to say my character was changing when I used slash abused steroids. I, I, I would, so? I would be aggressive. Like I yelled at my mom and that's something I'll regret for the rest of my life. I was bad in, in spending time with my kids. I, I felt overconfident sometimes. And sometimes in, in, in certain conversations, I would force my opinions and not even thinking about it. Just thinking that I'm, I'm free to think this way. I started judging people and you get caught without, without even knowing it.
But this is when I told myself, you got to stop. Like, where are you going? What, what do you want to prove? Because, you know, whenever you accomplish any goal, you're lost again. And you have to set another goal. And that's the same thing with bodybuilding. You lose that dopamine when you, when you get to the final product. And you want more. And you want more. And you want more. And it's, it's, it's taxing, especially using steroids and, and you know, damaging your body. It's taxing. And I figured I want to downsize. I want to be okay with how I look. I want to be here for a long time for my, for my kids. Like, what's the point? I want to live a good life at the end of the day. That's why I started going to the gym. So this is when I took the decision that I'm, I'm going to be off everything, even my blood pressure medication, even the trazodone pills for sleep. I want to be off and healthy and natural, even if it means I, I'm, I'm going down from 260 to 202 this morning. And yeah. That's the, that's the disease right there. You know yourself in the morning. <laughs> it's, it's an identity. It's your crisis. first hit of the day. That's your first hit of the day. That's, it's like a, like reaching for a crack pipe, you know, for crackheads or reaching for the bottle. That's the bodybuilders first initiation yep. of that disease for the day. I know. Yeah. Every morning, so. take a piss. You got, you got to take that first piss to make sure that water's out. <laughs> yes. And then, and then before you take, before you drink your glass of water for the morning, you've got to step on the scale. You don't want those 12 ounces to be on the scale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's, it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah, it's the truth. Everybody's done it, you know, that's, that's been in that world. And it's, and you're almost naked when you step on it, you know, and you remember exactly what yesterday was. You care about what happens. That, I plug it in every day. 202.3. Yeah, ex exactly. It's. 202.8, yep, I'm trying to get below 200, and that's a challenge for myself. That's, I, I'm actually intending, like, I'm willing to do this. I'm trying to go down with the weight. I'm trying to go down, oh, well, believe it or not. I take fighters from 200 pounds to 170 in about six hours, so I can get you down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, I don't, I, I want to go down while managing my, my, my yeah, yeah. No, like I want to keep my legs. Yeah. I want to grow my adults a little bit. I want to go down with it with my chest and I want to lose body fat and I want to settle down in the one nineties and live on it. Okay. That's a good weight for you too. That's mm -hmm. a, it's a very healthy, but also you're going to look like a monster like you always do because that's just kind of what you do. You're how tall are you? Six foot. All right, so six foot, two hundred and two pounds. You are not a small individual. Um, I still got on it. Top of that, you look. Hell yeah, you still got it. And the crazy thing is, is I've never seen a uh, more similar comparison. Besides, uh... oh shit, Vaughn. It starts with a C. Um, he played Hunger. Arnold. Yeah. Yes. You and him are the closest thing to the Arnold physique that I've seen. Your uh, your class aesthetic uh, t-shirt, the logo that you have. I'm assuming that that's you. Mm -hmm. Looks just like Arnold. You everything like it's like you you took a statue of him and stood in front of it every day and see. Oh, got to work on the arms. Got to work on the legs. You know, and 
I'm trying to really piece yourself towards that goal. <laughs> Believe it or not, I, I want to grow my shoulders. They won't grow. They just want to stay the classic way. I have a big chest, and that only comes from going all the cable crossovers. When I had the gyno, I thought mm-hmm. it's going to go away. And I it love just, cables. It just came this way. And I didn't realize yeah. that I have a small waist till I lost the weight. I was like, shit, I'm 28 inches on the waist competing. That's crazy. I used to wear 44 pants. Can you imagine that? Really? Dude, when I when I showed up to rehab, I had uh, a double XL shirt and a pair of 44 uh, like jeans. They're way too long for my short ass. But uh, yeah, I went from a 44 down to a 32 as far as like pant sizes go. So to see a 28 and your I'm probably 32 you. right now. But when I, you know, when I shed all the water down and everything mm-hmm. for a show, yeah. it shrinks a little bit more. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how? I'll go ahead and wrap this up here in just a few more minutes. I want to know how you're you're taking your experiences into your coaching career because I want to let's talk about your team for this last segment and then we'll get you out of here because. Your team is, they're, uh, it's exactly what it is. Is it's, it's a team from my perspective. Um, bodybuilding traditionally does not have teams. Um, you'll have gyms that you come from or whatever, but it's a very uh, selfish sport. It's the most selfish sport because it's just you. Um, even in fighting, we have coaches, you know, we have other teammates that we, I need somebody else to roll with in jujitsu. You know, I can't practice by myself. I can't hit pads by myself. So we need people to us in bodybuilding. It's just you, you know, um, you have a team of people to where, you know, it's the hashtag clean team classthetics. You know, you see everybody in the gym, you come in with posing practices. Um, you'll take over an entire gym and every gym in this area knows, who you are, you know, and you never show up alone. If you are, there's a slew of people behind you. How are you taking all of your experiences, knowledge, and um, now your experience in, in the PED world into coaching and kind of not necessarily prescribing, but are you putting any um, notice, I guess, on health concerns and mental health and kind of talking about things. And yeah, yeah, I guess just kind of like expand on that if you wouldn't mind. Shout out to Team Classthetics. I'm blessed to have you guys around me and it would never be a thing without every single person in the team. It's uh, most of most of it is knowledge exchange. Like I learn from my clients every day, every time I pose with someone, if, if, like the clients, if you look at it as everybody is, a, is an individual case, they have knowledge. They've been through some of them bodybuilding shows. Some people lost weight, some people gain weight and just being around this group of people, you get, you get to learn a lot and I'm really mm-hmm. blessed to have people around me because as you said Rob it's a really individual sport it's a really selfish sport and it's really refreshing for me to see like we do shows we go as a group people living in the same Airbnb are competing tomorrow against each other and they they're, they're just acting like friends and that's 
that's something new to me to see, especially when you have that competitive mindset. You almost look at your opponent as as your enemy because you're going against them on stage. But you see them correcting each other's in posing, trying to help each other's to display better, even even though knowing that if I teach him how to pose well, he might outpose me. But they still do it. And I, I'm blown away. Like, I know when it comes to stage time, they're going to fight like cats. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's all friendship. And it's always the case in life when, when you just be yourself, the right people will come in. Um, touching on the mental health, the steroid um, um, complication side of things, I can tell you right off the bat, really small percentage of the team are using steroids or PEDs, people mm -hmm. on the high level. If you notice, we're focusing more into um, natural shows. Some people join the team. They already have been using, especially back in my country. Like I have people, I have, I, I have clients in, in Australia and China and Middle East. And when they come, they, they, they're already using something, uh, whether it's TRT or just off, you know, mm -hmm. in yeah. my country is legal. It's not like here, yeah. like you can get it anywhere. So you can just walk into CVS and pick up a bottle of Trend? Uh, not necessarily, but something close to that. It's not regulated okay. yet, but you can take yeah. a lot of steroids or PEDs from the pharmacy. So especially it, that, that it's kind of like... Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, so is it kind of like SARMs and Kratom and like that whole thing? They're legal, but they're unregulated. So if you walk into the pharmacy and ask for Clomid and HCG, they will give it to you without questions. If you okay. go to a supplement shop where they sell pro hormones and they sell SARMs, it's not yet regulated. The same people that sell um, supplements they sell steroids. They don't shy away from it. They post it on their social media. They promote it. It's not yet regulated. I think it's going to be strict, especially now with the Saudi Federation of Bodybuilding coming back to life and starting to um, take people to competition, sponsoring athletes and everything. They're making a big jump with um, the new prince in charge. Uh, he's putting a lot of efforts in bodybuilding and in, in, in youth, like he likes arts, he likes sports and he's taking it high a notch. And I think things will be a little bit more strict, but just to stay in that conversation, a lot of people that I start working with, they're already using something and, um, they will be using it. But most of my clients right now are natural. Um, we just competed in Chicago in the IMBA. We got two pro cards. We're competing again in September. We might go to the Olympia. I got I got pros qualified for the Olympia. Um, we're focusing more towards the natural bodybuilding because I can tell you my mentality had shifted towards the more attainable mainstream physique more than the IFBB pros because you know rob the standards gone really high in, yeah. in the ifbb they're really high they they pushed phil heath out 
essentially that's what happened and he's the gift yes and yeah <laughs> just just shooting for a pro card now is, is a dream you have to mm -hmm. be in the point zero 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 one of the population you have to have all the support you have to have the financials you have to have the mindset and you have to go all out ignoring your health mostly and i'm sorry to say that in public <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's the truth and in the world of bodybuilding, it's a very extreme sport to where you do have to put some things to the wayside. And whether or not we want to, you know, openly say that it's hurting our bodies, we all know it's hurting our bodies. We just don't want that to be the main focus because the main, if the main focus becomes on the drug itself, then that becomes the reason why you are who you are, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's, and then it takes away all the hard work and it's almost as if that needle gave you a gift of size. And, and we know as the, the people who have taken them that that's not the case. Um, but it does, you know, open up the world for numerous conversations that people will be having for years to come and there will not be an end to it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and yeah. So before you move on yeah, and close ahead. it up, I just want to make I just want to make it clear that I'm I am not against steroids use. I use mm -hmm. it. Like yeah. we both are vaping. We know that it's not good. People drive yep. on the highway with their phones. They know it's not good. They, it's their decisions. Just like people using PEDs. People drink alcohol. People smoke weed. People do a lot of stuff. Like it's it's your it's your life, man. But I, yeah. I just I just stress on the steroid side of things, especially with my clients. And I sometimes I'll be harsh on it because they need awareness, especially people coming up. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel like instead of um, taking it away, we need to go the opposite way and put more time and money and resources into education. Um, so that's where guys like you come in. Um, if you are going to get on a team, you know definitely know what you're getting into and find somebody that's put the time and work in like Yusuf has to, to really point you in the right direction. Um, I myself, am not against them. I'm not against any drug, to be honest. I feel like everything should be open. Um, we should all have access to information without having any propaganda swaying information one way or the other, but that is a perfect world that will not happen. So unfortunately that conversation has no merit in talking about, and I feel like we've kind of come to our time here. So I'm going to let you go. But before I do, I want to uh, make sure that everybody can reach out to you, you know, connect with you. Um, and also, do you have any shows coming up, um, spots on the team open? And what's your plans for for coming up? I know just in being friends, we've I've came down and we've talked about putting on a nutrition seminar at a gym you were running. And then you left the gym to kind of... To, to focus on your bodybuilding endeavors um, so that way you're not working for somebody else. You want to continuously work for yourself. So kind of tell everybody all uh, we got 11,000 people still stuck on close to fluctuates. Kind of tell everybody, you know, where, uh, where we can find you and what you got coming up. Hashtag team classthetics. It's a single word class aesthetic as classic aesthetics. We have a show coming up in September, a natural show. Uh, 
under NARI Revolution, and I have two people do doing the National North Americans NPC, running after their pro cards. After that, we're going to the Natural Olympia. Uh, potentially, there is a client, if he qualifies, we'll have two people qualified for the Natural Olympia. We have more shows coming next year. Uh, we're waiting on the schedule, the new schedule. And mention in the seminar, we can still do that, Rob. We can set it up in crunch anywhere. We can um, take the, the yoga room and do a 45 minutes. And I'm pretty sure a lot cool. of people will love it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Nutrition is something that, that's a whole other podcast, but um, it's something people also need education on because I'm tired of watching people walk into the gym, eating Rice Krispie treats for the love of God. That's got to stop. It's got to man. Like people just think that they go to the gym for an hour and they've depleted their glycogen levels. And then by the next day at five o'clock, they haven't eaten any carbs or any sugar and they're still glycogen depleted. Mm -hmm. Like I want to just pull one of those guys and put them on a fight week diet, you know, <laughs> and uh, you want to know what your glycogen depletion look feels like. I'll, I'll show you because that shit's got to stop. So if I ever see somebody out there in a classic shirt wearing a or eating a Rice Krispie treat and calling your coach, <laughs> that's going <laughs> to... <laughs> so that's going to be it for today. Um, I do want to thank you so much for coming on, man. It's, a, it's honestly, it's been a pleasure of mine. Um, I feel like this helped our friendship out. Let me kind of see a different side of you, see where you come from and, and have a chance to understand you a little bit more, which is what the point of this was. So, so thank you for that. And, uh, yeah, turn it over to you one last time, say your goodbyes and, uh, Anything else you want to say? The pleasure is mine. Thank you for the opportunity. And I apologize for everybody for the technical difficulties in the beginning. You all have a blessed day. And thank you. <laughs> all right. Yep. And that is going to do it today, guys. So I will see you on the next one. Make sure to go check out Classthetics hashtag. Hook, hit him up on. Jesus, I can't talk. Just hit the dude up on Instagram. Let's uh let's see if we can't get some more team class that guys into the Olympia. So that's gonna do it for today, guys, and uh, I love you. And that's gonna do it for today, guys. I want to thank you for listening, and most importantly, I want to thank Yusuf for coming on the show, allowing me to share my home and my thoughts with him. And a little conversation between two friends is always warranted when there's been space between them. So thank you for coming on. I also want to thank you for having the extreme honesty and vulnerability um, to be able to, to, to share for you guys. Because in the end, you're the ones that's listening to this. You're the one that's getting to know who I am, who he is. And hopefully you were able to do a little bit of both in this episode. Because we went down a couple rabbit holes, mostly some insecurity stuff. Um and kind of talk briefly about addiction and I think that beeping noise if you keep hearing it is my fiance's very very annoying Tamagotchi because apparently everything from the 90s is making a comeback and everybody's jumping on the bandwagon to try to save these companies and now I got a fucking Tamagotchi in my house so that's amazing but anyway I wanted to recap really quick and 
go over a couple things. We touched on steroids, we touched on insecurities, we touched on the gym, we touched on different cultures of moving different cult countries. And it sounds like he's still not out of the woods as far as his move is concerned. As you heard, he's still dealing with some green card issues and things like that in the world that we're in now. Who knows when that's going to be settled out. So prayers, thoughts, love, and hope all send his way. Him and his family are able to finish this process, become an American citizen, because I feel like we as Americans do need more honest open cultural diversity so i'm going to end with that and the only thing that i want to say that if you've taken anything from this conversation is please dive down some rabbit holes with your friends don't just talk about things on the exterior you know talk about the reasons why why you do things and uh, you'll be surprised what conversation comes up you may Find more things out about your friends, about your loved ones, and uh, they may also get a chance to learn more about themselves as well. So that's going to wrap it up for today, guys. I'm going to go ahead and get out of here, let you enjoy the rest of your day without my annoying-ass voice in it. And that is going to be it. So find me online at I am Rob Childs. Hit me up, tell me what you love, tell me what you don't like, and let me know what I should do next. That's going to be it. See ya!